five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Well, it's Friday and you know what that means. It's five in the eye day here on Colourful Radio. Broadcasting on DAB in London and the South East, online and over apps. It's episode 0406 of your favourite news review show. I'm Phil Woodford in London. And joining Phil this week via Zoom, it's me, Michael Ogaturi, revealing that our top story is going to be the attack ads the Labour Party is running, which have got very personal. Has Sakia Starmer now lost the moral high ground? Live in the eye. And for our second story this week, Twitter labelled the BBC as a government-sponsored channel and only relented after pressure on its founder, Elon Musk, who gave them an interview this week. What does that say about the new regime at the social media giant? And what's story number three? Well, the long-established company, Tupperware, is in big financial trouble. Some listeners may be old enough to remember the world of Tupper parties, Tupperware parties even. They brought community together in the same way as the pub and the church. But those days have disappeared, haven't they? For our fourth story, there's consternation in theatre land, as some audiences have apparently become too rowdy. And finally, to wrap up the show, Facebook is clamping down on people who make their living impersonating stars. They're, they're worried about being accused of copyright infringements. If anyone is impersonating Michael, you've been warned. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. Okay, well, we're going to kick off this week with um, the controversy over the Labour Party's recent campaign of advertising, which is very personal and targets the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. And um, on a variety of topics, uh, Michael, but one of the, the, the first ads was particularly controversial because it suggested that uh, Rishi Sunak didn't want sex offenders to go to prison. Um, and the evidence for this was the fact that, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, a proportion of sex offenders hadn't gone to prison over the last sort of 10 or, or, or 12 years. This is a controversial issue in itself because the judges are following sentencing guidelines uh, laid down by the Sentencing Council. Keir Starmer was actually a member of the Sentencing Council at the time that these guidelines were laid down. And Emily Thornbury, the Labour shadow minister, was uh, struggling to explain this, um, this, this anomaly to the BBC. I mean, more generally, uh, we, we see a, a signal that Labour that Labour is prepared to go for the jugular. They're prepared to hold Rishi Sunak accountable for things that, um, you know, may have happened before he even became an MP in 2015, uh, that he takes responsibility for everything the Tories have done or, 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 or not done. Um, and since these uh, attack ads have run, the Tory poll ratings have started to creep up which suggests that the strategy might be failing politically, even if it's justified morally. What were you, what were your initial reaction to this, Michael? And have you changed your views over uh, over a period of time? I have changed my views. Initially, when I saw it, I was immediately reminded of uh, Michelle Obama. When they go low, we go high. You know, talk, you mentioned the talk about that moral high ground. But look, this is a different regime, a different time here. This is a Tory government trying to reinvent itself after five, five, five uh, PM prime ministers in, in in six years, six seven years. 
and they 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 they're trying to look to a great future which they which they own in the culture wars, and they have created this environment. They created this environment where where he's right, you know, in in the sense that we don't nobody in the right mind is is against um, pedophiles going to going to court or or restrictions on gun ownership or or that thieves should go free. But the Tories got this moral high ground with, with, with the accused Starmer being a lefty lawyer, a lefty lawyer when, when he's not. Whereas, um, what was it? Sunak calls himself man of the people. He's, he's on the side of the people, and he talks about the the, the uh, resisting the boat people and turning them around. So I'm just let, 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 let's get real. These are Tory tactics used against them, and it gives it gives it gives the, the Labour. The opportunity to talk about these issues and address them in an aggressive way, just as the um, the, the 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 Tories do. Yeah, I mean, to me, there's two issues here, and we need to separate them out. The first issue is: is it uh, morally justifiable to go after Rishi Sunak so personally for the fa- all the failings of the Tories? I I personally think it probably is. Um, I mean, he, he, you know, I agree with you, Michael, that, um, the Tories have chopped and changed their prime ministers. They try and each time they elect someone new, pretend it's a new government, but in fact, it's a continuity of everything since the coalition government. We know that. And so I do think Rishi Sunak's got to take responsibility for things. Um, the second issue though, is, um, whether the way in which this campaign is expressed is actually going to help Labour politically or harm them. And there I am much more much more dubious as i said in the time the in the time the campaign's been running labor hasn't been gaining in the polls it's been losing uh, losing ground in the polls the reason i would suggest that may be happening is that actually they've pretty much exhausted uh, any further former Tories who are going to come over to Labour. What they need to do now is to hang on to the Tories they've already brought over, who were alienated by Partygate, alienated by Truss and uh, Quartang. And um, these people are the ones who are likely to drift back to the Tories, in my view, in in, in the light of Labour negativity. Don't you think that's a risk, Michael? Of course it's a risk, Phil, but... These, these, these. The Tories are going to be using these tricks. You know what? What, what was it? Um, remember Beergate? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighteen days of headlines in the when, Daily Mail when they were accusing Keir Starmer supposedly of breaking lockdown rules to try to distract from the fact that Boris Johnson had done it. And when you say they, it's the Tories and the Tory press working in concert. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got the, this man Lee Anderson, thirty p mm. Lee Anderson with his thirty p meals. And he talks about we're going to fight a culture war. So let's get the blows in first. Mm. Let, that, let, let that, you know, it's 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 it, it is it is a bit um, it is risky, as you say. You know, it is a bit. I, I, it is a I bit, completely you know, get your it is over the top, your, but your your moral argument, Michael. I, I understand where you're coming from. That you know they fight dirty. We can't play Queensbury rules. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I get that. And but, I, I, Phil, 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 it's not a fact of fighting dirty. It's an opportunity to discuss the, the issues. Mm. So you can you 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 bring it to the point and talk about this is what we say. This is getting attention. The squeaky wheel gets the squeaky wheel gets the gets the grease. It's you, Labour's opportunity you know to talk my, about these issues. You know my long-standing view, which is that the left 
wins when it is positive and optimistic. Mm. You look at Barack Obama, you look at Tony Blair, these they offered a positive vision for their countries at the time. This is when the left wins elections, not when it's negative and relentlessly negative. I, I, I just don't believe this is the right road. But I see you coming from, and this, there's a fine line because Starmer has, has developed this uh, decent, uh, decent, um, a, a, a decent um, sensibility about himself in terms of people. He is, he, has, he is on the moral high ground, but at the same time, he's a politician. And he wants the opportunity to, to, to debate his issues, to debate his points. So he's, he makes it dramatic here in the same way, in the, in the same way that um, they've been Brexit and then Cummings with that 350 million pound bus. They knew it was a lie, but it gave them an opportunity to, to discuss the issues. You know, the 75 million techs are coming over here. Complete nonsense. But it gave them the opportunity to discuss the issues and confront people. And, you know, these are the times we live in, Phil. These are the times we live in. You can't, you know, this, this moral high ground, a shining city on a hill. I think that's some, somehow, that, that's back in the day. Having said that, at the same time, you've got to have that, that compassion that reaches out and touches people. The people say, yes, he's my man, he's my woman, he understands me. So that, there is a fine line. But, this, but at the same time, when you're up against these Tory books, You've got to use what you've got to use their tactics back at them. What was it? Um, who, who was the um, the the Tory press, uh, the um, Labour press secretary, the Alistair Campbell? Alistair Campbell. He talk. He makes the analogy. You you like in sports, in boxing, football. You get your blow in first. You let you know there's a game on here, mate. You're somewhat you're up against somebody. And this is what I think this is doing. And I'm with Alistair in that sense. You've got to, you know, a, a big hit up front to let them know we're going to come back if, if you come back at us. Live in the eye. Story number two this week is Elon Musk. And the headline that caught my eye was that he, or he or Twitter, the, the, the two are inseparable now. They, they, they branded the, the BBC as a government-funded media. Government-funded media, come on, the BBC, and also NPR, National Broadcast Radio in, in, in America. It was also government-funded. And he he had decided. Now, it's hard. Let me be a bit, bit facetious here. It's hard to say because his dog is now the CEO, apparently. So we could argue, did his dog make this, 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 this uh, decision? But we'll come back to the dog later on. Coming back to this, Phil, the, one, a BBC uh, tech reporter randomly this week sent an email for, to, to him in the hope of getting an interview. Now, you don't... Elon Musk, the man who founded Tesla, SpaceX, you know, a billionaire, they, they, they don't give you interviews freely, but he got an interview just out of the blue, you know, in an hour's time. So he was... he was he, You know, good on him, he took it, but he wasn't well prepared. He wasn't well... This BBC interview wasn't well prepared... And uh, it wasn't exactly the most uh, uh, the, the most searching of interviews, was it? No, it, was, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. The, guy, the guy was clearly in awe of being there and meeting uh, Elon Musk. And I mean, he practically admitted that on the BBC, I think. He said it was and, a, and Elon Musk was, was, there was a kind of a, a billionaire confidence about his position. And we're, we're, the, 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 the point where the BBC guy said, uh, well, look, there's an increase in hate speech. And then Musk says, well, can you give me an example? 
and then followed it. Just the interviews went downhill from there because the guy couldn't because mm-hmm. he wasn't prepared. Because we know Phil. Okay, we've done the research now. We've got time. But there's been there's been what sixty percent increase in anti-Semitic um, tweets, uh, an equal figure in in um, homophobia and, and and against gays, and uh, over, the, over a doubling, almost a tripling of the uh, the racist the racist stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the figures speak for well, themselves. And of course, you know, t- uh, Musk has cut back hugely on the number of staff in uh, at Twitter. Um, some would say, well, this is inevitably going to lead to less policing of the of the site, and this is why the, the you know the the environment is becoming more uncontrolled. He was saying, of course, that the thing was going to go bust unless he he took lots of yeah. Action. What was it? You had, had four months. You know, they had they had a billion in the bank, and they were four. They were losing money. And he so he shut it down, and and, and that's reflected in, in in the quality of the service, which allows these people these these tweets to to, to come up. Well, I mean, so, let's go, let's go back to the original point, which was that that, that you raised, which was that he labelled the BBC as kind of state funded media, which is. Of course, the reason that's so sensitive is this is the way that kind of the tweets from um, businesses and TV channels that are supported by Iran or China and so on are labeled. And that's as a warning to us. Look, don't don't fool, you know, you're watching Russia today or something like that. Well, you should know that it's uh, it's funded by the Kremlin. Um, you know, and, and so these are the kinds of warnings that they like to give. But to attach it to the BBC, which is a perfectly legitimate, publicly funded uh, through the license fee or NPR, as you say, in the States, um, it seems completely inappropriate. What, what, what strikes me as so odd about Musk is that he he often seems to be a man who's kind of making stuff up and thinking it through as he goes. I mean, there was a, there was another interesting exchange where the the reporter asked him about TikTok, the Chinese social media platform, and whether um, it should be banned or not. And Musk really looked like he'd never thought about the issue before. He was he he was kind of thinking about it as he as he spoke. Very peculiar. Yeah, I, I get that, friends. He doesn't make it up real time, and it, it's like it, it's it's back in the old days of the internet. You fail fast, you recover. It's all about breaking, you know, making breaking things and fixing things. Minute by minute, and these these are young men. These are what young men do, and it, and it is predominantly men who are involved in these these startups and moving things forward. And we get this this these train crashes. Not not this interviews, but train crashes in the country in terms of you know the the, the BBC was. He said, well now now they're out there. What was it? The government funded media. Well, Phil, if you check today, you check today. It's now publicly funded. It's publicly funded. Which is probably like, something the BBC is quite comfortable with. They've changed, they've changed and, and they admit it. That's what they are. They are publicly funded. They're not government funded. NPR remains government funded. And, and in fact, NPR have said enough. They're, they're leaving Twitter because they don't, they don't want to. Because as, 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 as he talks about the town hall, the town square, town hall where anyone come in and he wants Trump to come back. Um, but what's interesting, about, by the way, Trump won't come back or can't come back because he's he's committed to his truth social. So he has to he's, he's signed up to that in order for, for that to grow. But 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 going back to Musk, he's like a young man making it on the hoof. Like he talked about making his um his dog CEO. Complete nonsense. Complete nonsense. Should but we should we say barking mad, Michael? <laughs> oh, very, very quick. But it's symptom, you know. He, he, and he'll if 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 he, if it doesn't work out, because 
he'll, he'll just he'll just come up with some other story real time and make it up as it goes along. I think this is the danger of 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 rich, powerful men owning these media. You only look at what's happening in um with in Fox News, Murdoch, in the way they've they they fool literally fooled the people with this this promoting Trump's uh, we lost the election. In reality, they knew they didn't it wasn't stolen. But uh, but he let he, he let them broadcast it because it fitted the narrative in terms of it it brought in the um the viewers and then and intend the advertisers and that's where they made the money from. So when you see these rich guys in power, you know, it's 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 worrying. You know, money talks and it really talks. Five in the eye. Our third story is about another quite well-known business, but perhaps a business that was better known 50 years ago, Tupperware. So um, older listeners will recall that um, Tupperware parties were a big thing in the past where um, women, predominantly uh, women who, who who stayed at home, didn't go out to work, would get together and, and they would, um, it would be a social occasion where they would buy um, and sell these um, items of kitchenware, um, Tupperware being the stuff that you keep keep stuff airtight in your fridge, maybe. Um, now, Tupperware is in a lot of financial problems today. It had a brief resurgence during COVID uh, when people were doing more cooking and baking at home. Now it's gone by the wayside. It, it got us thinking, <clears throat> didn't it, Michael, about the fact that this was one way, a rather peculiar way, perhaps, but it was one way in which people got together in a community and then we're thinking about the other places people get together and you could think about the local pub well they they're still closing at an alarming rate they can't afford their energy bills that that people are, are less inclined to visit you've got things like the churches where people used to congregate and now attendances are way down are we losing that kind of whole sense of people getting together michael well, I think the groups are losing it, definitely. You know, you just look at church attendance, you look at unions and PTAs. But the online, the digital side is growing like crazy. So as individuals, we can connect with people. But those are people who think like us. In those in those Tupperware parties, you get a diverse group of thinking, and the pub, you get different views. In a pub, you know, everyone's got a view on religion and, and so on. You, you discuss in the chat. You have that, that social capital, which in some ways is, is the bedrock you know, of the bedrock of, of democracy. Where we get that, with that we interact with you know, there's a civic is oh, to use the technical and the civic engagement. We discuss at a low level you know, the, the, the the things that concern us, the things that interest us. Whereas now we we we, we do it international, not just locally. We do it internationally, and we do it instantly. So we lost that sense of local community, and when you layer on that, you know, the the death of the um, the local newspaper, those things that did create communities, that created social cohesion, they've gone, Phil. They've gone. But is this a is this a genie that is out of a bottle, Michael? And you can't really put it back in because some people would say, "Well, we need to rebuild the community. We need to reestablish the communities." Gone. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, I, I don't think that you can artificially create community. It's something that emerges organically, naturally. And if it's not there, it's not there, in my view. But, you know, I'm, I know other people would take a different view. They might say, well, perhaps we should 
find new ways, set up new organizations that might attract people together, new activities. You know, people are always talking about, you know, young people having places to congregate, for instance. What about the idea of the youth club, uh, which uh, in our in in our younger days was a big thing, wasn't it? But now nowadays you you find there aren't so many of those around either. Well, I, I see those are, those are, those are marginal youth club. It's about we adults coming together, having having a common interest that unites us, and, and we discuss not just our common interests, but the, the society society as a whole. We, we share ideas amongst ourselves. Now we we, we turn to social media to, to to get our views or to give our views. So we've lost that 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 that, that, that connectivity. And for me, my, my big, big concern is the loss of. You know, back when I was coming up, the bank manager, the priest, the vicar, the doctor, these were pillars of the community. Now now these people often don't live in the community or they're not there at all. Or the bank bank manager's job is now reduced to someone who opens the door and tells you where to go. There's there's probably not even a bank bank for them to manage, is there? Exactly. So so those, those things that created society and then we looked to society are gone. And it is what it is today, Phil. We've got. Um, but is the online is the online world a subst- a real substitute for the face to face contact? Well, okay, we would say of course not. But in reality, it is for many people. You know, the the the, the Twitter community, the Facebook community, or, or the Meta community. It's part of who they are. So you 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 you, you can create fictitious communities, or you can create your own community if you want. So I think we I think we've moved on in Tupperware, the top of the death of Tupperware and Tupperware parties. It's just a, a sign, you know, literally a sign of the times. Five in the eye. Our fourth story this week. Now, this 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 is a lad story. This is people in Manchester, Manchester Theatre, the bodyguard. And someone in the audience, at the big scene of the, the big, that big Dolly Parton scene that I'm I can't, I'm not gonna do it, but they wanted to join in and it just caused total confusion. And it seems to have split the country. There are those of us, and I was us, and I'll come back to that later in the moment, who thought, well, you should respond, you should join in, enter in. It's a it's a moment of great uh, emotion. You want to be part of it. But, you know, Phil, on reflection, because, you know, they had moments that um, Alison Hammond, she got beat up, the Ofcom... She had to apologise because they took my initial response. It's just a bit of fun. Why not? You know, because you go you go to the opera in Milan. That's what they do. People singing, they shouting. It's it's an interactive. It's a sport. Going to the theatre. Well, you, the you could argue, of course, if you went back to the days of Shakespeare, for instance, there would have been a lot of boardiness and interaction with the audience and all of that kind of thing. I I have no doubt when people were were performing. But yeah, so a lot of this is a kind of quite specific cultural thing. I mean, I I j- just because Michael Michael's not as hot on popular culture as as some, I'll, I'll point out that the bodyguard is associated with Whitney Houston rather than. No, no, rather, it's I know it's a Dolly Parton. I know it's a Dolly Parton. You know, I know it's a Whitney did a rather kind of. A bigger, more extravagant version of this yeah, song, she did, yeah, she and did that. Uh, which, which, which is perhaps which is perhaps better known. I mean, the thing is, it's um, a, a wonderful piece of music, and um, if you're in the audience, you want to hear someone who's got a beautiful voice, 
uh, give a rendition of it. You don't want to hear drunken people halfway across the auditorium ruining it for you, do you? I mean, if I've paid whatever it is, 60 quid to go and go and watch this thing, why should I have my enjoyment of it disturbed by people oh, who, are, who, who can't be bothered to pay respect to the performer? No, no, so this is, I'm going to agree with you there, um, because there's, there's this respect thing, not, 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 not just for the performers, but the people around you are, who are engaged, engaged, but, and you're not engaged. So, I mean, I've seen this at first hand, Michael. I, I took my late dad to uh, a Kenny Rogers concert, the, uh, the aged uh, country singer, who is also now, now no longer with us, uh, about five years ago at Hammersmith. And there was a group of people in the audience who caused immense disruption. And eventually, I mean, I I was so concerned about the situation. I actually had to get my old dad, who was in his early 80s, down the fire escape at the back uh, to, to get him out of the place before the police arrived, which they did later on. And, now, you know, this, this was a concert uh, for, you know, Kenny Rogers. Uh, you know, I mean, when we weren't talking about we, we weren't, weren't talking about some kind of punk band or something like this. I mean, it was extraordinary, and and you know, everyone had paid to come and see the bloke. Oh, I feel, I'm I'm really torn here because you know when when if, if he's singing your big song, you got to know when to hold them, <laughs> know when to fold them. Come on, the gambler, you, yes, yes. You, you're caught up in the moments. You're caught in the moments, and I can respect, but at the same time. You've got to remain respectful to the to the artist and the audience. It, I'm challenged here, Phil. You know, because it's an experience. I was looking. There's a piece. Um, Yolanda Brown. I watched it. Uh, um, a video of it. It's doing a song. The the, the um, saxophonist, and she's giving it big legs. For she's in the groove there. The, the um, uh, um, doing that, doing her way on the BBC. We'll we'll put the link in in the uh, you know, on Facebook. But the audience are just sitting there listening. They've been totally respectful. There's not a there's not a toe tapped, not a head yeah. nodding, not a body moving. Yes, you know you do. I'm sure the, the, you're, you're kind of describing it. You're kind of describing another extreme, aren't you? Really, here it's like uh, there's probably a happy medium somewhere between these these two things, isn't there? You, you, you've got some, you've got some audience. You've got some audience enjoyment and participation without disrupting the actual performance. But I think we've been around the houses with this. We've been around the whole theatre house. Uh, we can't quite decide on this one. If you've got a strong opinion, let us know on our Facebook page. Five in the eye. So our final story this week also involves Dolly Parton <laughs> <laughs> because. Um, uh, it, Sky was reporting that Facebook has been taking down the pages of people who impersonate um, stars. And Dolly Parton was actually uh, one of the examples they gave. There is a lady who kind of made her career out of impersonating Dolly, um, not just as kind of uh, uh, not just a hobby. You know, this was her job. And she built up 15,000 followers. Facebook took down the page. She lost all the followers. She started to build them up again to about four or 5,000. They've taken the page down again. And she's distraught about this because she says this is her livelihood. Uh, Facebook are concerned that maybe Dolly's lawyers are going to be uh, emailing saying, you know, this is an infringement of copyright. This is someone who's masquerading as Dolly. And so it all seems a bit extreme, doesn't it, Michael? Totally over the top. They're not in touch with reality. 
These tribute bands are often enjoyed. Some are even endorsed by the man like the Stones talked about the the the, the, the Confederate, the counterfeit Stones as the greatest, the greatest rock and roll band. Dolly Parton's kind of endorsed this for this woman. And it's it's all a bit of fun. All those Elvis, where would it be with our Elvis impersonators? We've all got an uncle who's an Elvis impersonator. On it's it, it's part of modern modern music. It's part of music. It's always be always have imitators, and it's not as if they're passing off saying I'm Dolly Parton. Yeah, I mean, no one's surely going to be confused. But if it did come to a court case, then I was the lawyer for this lady who, I mean, actually Dolly Parton, I think, has endorsed. This she has, yeah, she has, it, which yeah, makes yeah. it even more ridiculous. But let's let's say um, you know another star like Adele. Decided to, that she didn't like the, the the impersonators. I mean, my defence as a lawyer would be: no one really believes that this person is Adele or or this person is Bruno Mars or whoever it is. They, that it's obvious, isn't it, that they are an impersonator? And and surely in that context, it must be okay. Of, of course, it is. Phil. These people they they pay they pay. I'm I'm believing that they pay the rights to use the music, and they respect the. They respect the artist. They say who the artist is, and they. In some ways, these guys are, are fans, and they celebrate them. And I don't believe they could do it without being, you know, without being a fan and engage with the with the, with your David Bowie or Rod Stewart, whatever it is. So I think Met are in some ways are out of touch, or maybe there's there is a group who are stealing Rod Stewart's identity. But having said that, what kind of fans are they attracting? <laughs> Because you can see this, this is not Rod Stewart. <laughs> Come on. Maybe this is Meta seeking advert, you know, looking for um, publicity. Live in the eye. Well, we've just completed our tribute act to the news. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed episode 0406. If you did, why not join us again next week when we'll do it all over again? Please do visit our Facebook page where we post up stories we're considering for next week's show. In the meantime, this is Phil Woodford in London wishing you well for the week ahead. And this is me, Michael O'Hudjur, saying, if you have been, thanks for listening. That's Five in the Eye wrapped up for another week. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?